Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. We're going to continue to bless his name. Bless his name. Let it get into you this morning. Keep that up. Keep Jesus at the center of it all. Bless his name. He's the God of peace, the God of peace. We're going to talk about the God of peace this morning. It's been a month of talking about the peace of God from the book of Romans. If you've been reading with us, we, fin- we finished the book of Romans on Monday. And if you're unfamiliar with that, if you're visiting with us today, just look at our bulletin. You'll see we have a reading plan for the week. We've been following it since the beginning of the year, and we're going to finish the Bible by the end of the year, together. We're reading together and every Sunday touching on what we've read the previous week. So beginning this, uh, the start of the month, we started the book of Romans and talked about peace with God, that Jesus Christ, our salvation, he makes this great, great offer to us. We can be reconciled unto God. We can have peace with God. We don't have to war with him. We don't have to be uh, having anything between him and us because Christ Jesus, by his sacrificial death, gave us a way that we can have our sins forgiven. The offense of sin against God can be taken care of through the cross of Jesus Christ, and we can have peace with God. And we talked the next week about peace of mind. That was from Romans chapter 7, how we can have our mind set at ease. And then last week, we talked about being filled with peace. All of this in contrast to what the world has to offer, which is chaos and a world. And you know it, I don't have to tell you about how the world can be crazy. This morning, the God of peace. This comes from Romans chapter 16, the close of the book. At this point, Paul has talked about all kinds of doctrines. He's talked about principles that we need to live by. And then I I know I've let you know from chapter 12 onward, it was something like the Sermon on the Mount, Paul giving us all kinds of practical ways that we can live out what he has taught in the first portion of his letter. Now at the close, begins at the end of chapter 15 and chapter 16, Paul's mentioned 26 individuals. Greet this person, greet that one, let them know we love them, greet this one, greet this one. It's the close of a letter. A letter is an occasional writing. So this was an occasion that Paul was looking forward to visiting uh, the church in Rome, and he said, hey, in advance, say hi to all these people, Priscilla, Aquila, and all, all these others that he mentions. Greet them. And then suddenly, in the middle of Romans 16, it's like a postscript. You know when you're writing a letter and you're signing it, and then you say, oh, I I remembered something. P.S., a postscript. So Paul is going to give a postscript, and I'm going to read this P.S. It's Romans 16, and it's chapter, or it's uh, verses 17 to 20. This little P.S. at the end of his letter. Again, there's 26 people mentioned, and suddenly he says this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. 
Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good, innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is his postscript. He goes on after that just to close out his letter. He gives a little benediction after he signs off. But he gives this postscript. And in this postscript, in this PS, there's an urgency. He begins with, I urge you. That's urgency. I want you brothers and sisters to be alert. Be careful. Be watchful. So this is a, it's an important item. And it's something that's come to mind after he's saying goodbye. Watch out. Watch out for what? Watch out for those who are going to cause division. Watch out for things that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. And he's gone over much of it in this letter. Then he gives this direct, four-word, simple sentence. Keep away from them. It's direct. I don't want you involved in those who would try to pull you away from what you've learned. The apostle seems to be addressing uh, those who would try to dissuade believers from their true faith in Jesus. And who is that? He hasn't really spent much time in this letter talking about those who would cause division, but he did make a mention. He hasn't belabored the point, but early in the letter, in chapter 2, Paul made a mention of this. And I want to remind you, it's Romans 2, and it's from 17 to 24. I want to read you a few verses from that section early in his letter. He said, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So those are some pretty strong words. And Paul, at the end there, he quotes from the letter, or the book of Isaiah. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse number five, where he says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He let us know because he said, as it is written. Who were these people trying to dissuade the Roman believers from Christ? They were Jews who were clinging to this legalistic Judaism. And he mentions this legalism about all the rules. And he says, you're blaspheming the name of God among the Romans, these Gentiles who have come to believe and they've exercised faith in Jesus Christ. Paul went on then to thoroughly explain all that we've talked about the past few weeks. Uh, salvation and justification and atonement for sin 
and unity with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's all by faith underneath this great umbrella of the grace of God. This has been his theme throughout this letter. These are the foundations of our faith in Jesus Christ. And at the end of the letter, now Paul gives a reminder in this little postscript, keep away from these who are bringing contrary teaching to the church. Now he gives them some reassurance. He writes, everyone's heard about your obedience. So evidently they're, they're doing a pretty good job about staying away from these who would be tugging at them and trying to draw them away from Christ. Everyone has heard about your obedience, and Paul writes, I rejoice with you, but I want something from you. I want you to be wise about what is evil, uh, wise about what is good, and innocent about what is evil. Continue to make that distinction. And I see here there's an allusion in Paul's words about that, about being wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil, good and evil. And that takes me right back to the beginning. That takes me right back to Genesis chapter 3. I feel an allusion here by the apostle to Genesis 3 where the tempter, that great serpent, Satan, he said to the woman, you will not certainly die for God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the very first temptation that's recorded in God's word. And it succeeded. It took down mankind. Keep your eyes open for those who cause divisions, for those who would put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul has been teaching Watch out for that. Keep away from them. They are not serving the Lord Christ. These are very straightforward and sobering words. Who are they serving themselves, their own appetites? And they're using flattery and smooth talk. Don't be deceived like naive people. Paul says, you've been obedient. Keep it up. I want you to be attentive to this, what's good and to what you've learned about the gospel. Be absorbed in that. Keep Jesus as the center of it all. Be focused on your calling in Christ and advancing his kingdom. Be innocent of evil. Don't be drawn away, and don't be drawn to it like a naive person. Don't be tempted by this evil that'll pull you away from Christ like Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in their naive pride. They fell to the tempter who said what? You'll be like God. An echo of that uh, first temptation is here in Paul's words. And then he gives this declaration. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And when I read this, I stopped. I have to stop right here. I want to take this in. It's one of those lines in scripture, if you had the experience where you're reading along and then, oh, I can't move on. This is, this is stopping me. I want to take this in. Crushing Satan. Now, this is something I'm interested in. And I, I hear another allusion, another echo from Genesis chapter 3. And it's this, where God declared to the serpent, he said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. 
he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So here's this crushing again, and it's way back in the beginning of the Bible. This curse against the serpent, who is Satan, it was declared by God in the Garden of Eden. The offspring of the woman, the offspring of the woman will crush your head. Now, we know that this is something that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That when he said, it is finished, something indeed occurred. And in Revelation chapter 1, the words of Jesus Christ are, I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Satan's a defeated foe. Satan's a defeated foe. In Christ, we don't need to fear death or hell. I mean, there is a victory that's been won by Jesus for every soul that believes on him, every soul that puts their faith in Jesus. But though this Satan is a defeated foe, the Bible tells us he still is active. Peter, the apostle, said the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. Now, Paul alludes to the evil of false teaching as a temptation of Satan that could still be going on. And he says, Satan, who is to be uh, crushed, and this is forward-looking. He says he's soon to be crushed, not Satan who has been crushed. And this line, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's, He's looking ahead. He's not looking back. There's an allusion there to the curse on Satan, but Satan's still, he's still allowed to do certain things. But God with you, Paul is saying, will crush Satan under your feet. There's God and our feet. So there's, there, there's something working together here. And to the Romans, Paul's encouragement is this. I believe Jesus together with you and you with him can accomplish this. You can crush Satan. And it will be soon. It'll be soon. How's it soon for the Romans? Well, you've got these false teachers in front of you. You've got these that want to pull you away from your faith in Jesus Christ. They're already here. But you can deal with them. You can crush them under your feet with Christ. And that can apply to us today. Jesus together with us. Us with him. We have the power to defeat temptation of the enemy. This is like an underfoot crushing, which is very interesting. And I want to talk about that. But first, I've got to admit, I was a little bit perplexed reading this line. I don't know if you were, but when I stopped and I said, okay, I want to understand this a little bit about this idea of crushing Satan, I'm looking at the first part of this. The God of peace. And I say, hold on. I'm scratching my head. The God of peace? Aren't we soldiers in the army of God? Isn't the one who's going to crush Satan with us the all-powerful, omnipotent God? He's the mighty one of Jacob, right? He is the God mighty with with an outstretched hand. And the glory of God thunders over the waters, right? 
God is our rock. He's our rock, like the rock in the book of Daniel that's going to roll down and it's going to crush iron and brass and, and it's going to crush clay and gold and silver. Isn't that our God, the God, the rock that will crush? Isn't God our God, the God of the eternal kingdom who gives us dominion and he has dominion and he endures from generation to generation? Isn't that the God that's going to crush Satan? And I suppose Paul could have used any of these. Any of these descriptions of the almighty, omnipotent, powerful God. But he wrote the God of peace. And I wonder about that. The God of peace is going to do all this crushing. And I find it a bit ironic. To me, it's just an ironic statement that the God of peace is going to crush and I read some commentaries. And I read this one. I'll give you just an excerpt from a commentary I read. It said, how would you like to lift your foot high and then slam it down as hard as you can on top of the devil, pounding, hammering, trouncing, crushing, and smattering him to bits under your feet? Does that like some, sound like something you wish you could do? Sounds like something I wish I could do, Yes. Then, the, then the, he gives this paraphrase of Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will smash and completely obliterate Satan under your feet. Lift your feet high, stomp and pound down hard, crushing the enemy under your feet and leaving him, ahead, leaving him in a heap trampled beyond recognition. That's great, yes. But the writer completely misses the irony in that. The God of peace will be smashing it all. That's the God of peace? It, again, it, it just, I, I have to stop. The God of peace will smash and completely obliterate. How is that? I mean, can peace, so I think about it, I want, I want to reconcile the irony. I want to eliminate it. Can peace and crushing underfoot be reconciled? And I think it can. I think it can, and I'm not so sure it's this idea of smashing and blah, pound, we're going to pound. This is this the way we're going to go out and take on Satan? Come on! Or is it in a peaceful way? The gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not called, you know, the warrior times. It's called good news. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the gospel of peace. The gospel makes available to you an opportunity for those who are lost in sin, who've rebelled against God, who've rejected God, that they could be reconciled with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And I know we talk about the army of God, but God's army is not a natural army with tanks and, and missiles and you know cruise missiles. That's not God's army. No, God's army is not natural. The gospel does not advance by force. And no one would know this better than the guy who wrote the letter to the Romans, the apostle Paul. He was a terrorist. He was the murderous Saul. He tried to advance Judaism by force, by hurting people. And he failed miserably. He approved the stoning of Stephen. He persecuted the church. 
but he was converted to Jesus Christ, and he was radically changed in his life, and he began to preach Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And Paul went from city to city, not with human force, not with this idea of I'm going to smash and kill and all that. No. He went with the gospel of peace, the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ, not with human force. And you know, the tables were turned on this guy. This guy who went out and he took people and he imprisoned people and persecuted people and hurt people, he was no longer doing that. He was no longer persecuting people, but he himself was feeling pain. He was being persecuted. He was stoned and beaten with rods and he was thrown in jail and he was left for dead. And he did it all because he was living for his Savior, Jesus. Now he wasn't living for himself. And when you're living for yourself, that's when all that force comes in and you're going to make somebody do it. When he left the city of Ephesus, where he had stayed for three years, he said farewell to the elders there. And he said this, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. He came to every city, city by city, in the name of the God of peace, not the God of force. When it came to battle, when it came to the idea of God's army, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, a familiar passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6 about our struggles. And he said, your struggle isn't against flesh and blood. This is not, this is not a human battle. It's against rulers and authorities and against powers of this dark world. And he said, your your struggles against spiritual forces of evil in high places. And he said, put on the armor of God. Yeah, and we hear the armor of God. We're going to go out to battle. But the armor of God is not natural armor. It's spiritual. And he, he said, you, you outfit yourself with this armor. And what goes on the feet? If we're talking about crushing Satan under our feet, and he's telling the Romans this, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, what did he write to the Ephesians about the armor of God? He said, fit your feet. May your feet be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of force, right? No, that comes from the gospel of peace. Fit yourself with the readiness on your feet that comes from the gospel of peace. So with the gospel of peace, I say the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And it can reconcile this seeming irony that the the writer Paul put in that closing postscript to the Romans. God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Will he? Really? Well, let's look at some examples of how this could actually happen. Some examples where the attempts of the evil one, the attempts of Satan, can be defeated by the God of peace. Not with with swords, not with tanks, not with guns, but the wiles of the wicked one could be brought down by the God of peace under the feet of the saints. First example Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 opens with the apostles John and Paul 
entering the temple, Jesus has been resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit arrived. And these apostles began to preach. And John and Paul, or Peter, John and Peter, they're walking into the temple. There's a lame man begging. And he said, give me some money. And what happened? Peter said, looking directly at the man, caught his attention. Acts 3 says, not only Peter, but John, they looked at him eyeball to eyeball. And Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have it. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man got up and he walked. So this healed man kind of caused a stir. What precipitated? People marveled. This lame man, they knew this lame guy had been begging for years. He's up walking around. Peter preached. He told these uh, people in the temple, you disowned the holy and the righteous one. You asked for a murderer. You asked for Barabbas instead of Jesus. And you put to death the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead, and that's a fact that I witnessed. That's what Peter said. And the whole city was stirred. And then the leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, these tools of Satan, they took Peter and John, they seized them, and they put them in jail. And what did they say? Don't speak about this Jesus anymore. We're demanding you. You don't talk about him. But Peter and John... They've been emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the God of peace is about to crush Satan under their feet. They didn't back down. Now, they didn't pull out swords and try to fight. What did we hear at the open today? The scripture that Pastor Julie read, Acts 4.12, Peter said to the Sanhedrin, Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So we're going to keep talking about them. And the Sanhedrin continued to threaten these guys and tell them, you don't do this and we're, we're going to deal with you. But they couldn't deny the miracle of the man walking around and they had to let these guys go. And Peter and John, they joined some other believers and they had a prayer meeting. And what happened? They prayed. Acts chapter four, verse 31, tells us they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And what happened? Acts 4, 32, it says this. All the believers were, in, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Hey, Satan tried to break apart the believers. He tried to put division into them. He tried to have Peter and John, the leaders, threatened and break down this thing called the New Testament church, but he was crushed. The outcome wasn't Peter and John running away. The outcome was Peter and John preaching the gospel of peace. And it was not prison and division. It was unity of believers with one heart and one mind. How about that, you Sanhedrin? You want to put us in jail again? 
crushing Satan under their feet. Eh, not as much as this whole idea of this, but look at the outcome. Another example, Acts chapter seven. Stephen, who was named the first of the deacons, he had been seized now by these Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, and he stood boldly proclaiming the gospel. He just, from the start, back with Abraham and Moses, he came right on through, all the way to Jesus. And he declared to these leaders of the Jews, you rejected Jesus. And just like Peter was saying to him, and you resisted the Holy Spirit. What did they do? They dragged him out of the city and they started to stone Stephen. Acts chapter seven puts it this way. This is 59 and 60. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. How much more peace could one have than praying as he's being stoned to death, praying for those who are hurling the rocks? Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He didn't cry out, fellas, go, go get the battle gear. Go put on your armor. He didn't cry out for, for swords and spears. He cried out to Jesus with an amazing prayer. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He was praying for the likes of a Pharisee named Saul who stood right there and approved of the killing of Stephen. And after Stephen was killed, Saul went on a mission. He became more zealous. He went from house to house, taking people, it says men and women, prisoners. He got letters from the Sanhedrin so he could go all the way to Damascus because his aim was to destroy the church. That's Acts 8. He was out to destroy this church. But Satan would soon be crushed. Stephen prayed, and he prayed a prayer of peace. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And that evil that was inspired by, by the devil, by Satan, it was crushed. See, Stephen's prayer was answered because Jesus, Jesus himself went to Saul. And he's the one who stood by, remember. He stood there while Stephen was being murdered. Jesus went directly to Saul. And Saul had a powerful conversion to Christ. And he was forgiven. And his sin was not held against him. And he became Paul the Apostle, the most prolific writer of the New Testament. How, how much more could Satan be crushed by the God of peace than the one who was out to destroy the church has been now turned to be the one who was going to be the, be the best uh, expander of the church? Ah, Satan was crushed. But he keeps trying. Paul and Silas. A third example, my final example. I, I, I hope you're seeing this. Paul and his friend Silas, they went to the city of Philippi. Paul calls a demon out of a young girl because she's been bothering him. 
And finally, he just said, I'm, I'm through with this. You know, come out of her. And the demon came out of her. But she was a slave, and her master was upset because this girl was a fortune teller, and now her fortune-telling ability had been uh, pulled out of her because this demon had been uh, taken out. So Paul and Silas, they were seized, they were stripped, they were beaten with rods. See, I told you, Paul the terrorist, the table had turned on him. He's stripped, beaten, uh, thrown into a dungeon, thrown into the inner cell of a prison, we read in Acts 16. And what did he and Silas do? They began to sing and praise God. They were worshiping. In Acts 16, we read that they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. You know, I think the jailer might have been listening too. I think the jailer may have been hearing them and maybe they were singing a song like we heard earlier. A song that started about Paul and Silas and it said they were singing, I bless your name. They were blessing the name of God. And I think the jailer might have been tuning in a little bit too. You know the gospel of peace can go forth in music and song. It can. It can touch people's hearts. Here these two guys in chains are singing to God and what happened? I mean, Satan's trying to get them beaten, stripped, uh, put in jail. An earthquake shakes the prison doors right off their hinges. Their chains fall off. The jailer gets so upset because he thinks there's been a prison break and everyone's gone. He says, I'm going to kill myself. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. Don't do it. We're all here. This jailer had been shaken to the core. But it's interesting because the very next thing the jailer says, after Paul said, hey, we're here, don't, don't kill yourself. He said, what must I do to be saved? Now, isn't that interesting? That's why I think he was hearing some of the music. He was hearing some of the worship. What must I do to be saved? Him and his entire household came to Jesus Christ. In Acts 16, verse 34, it says, the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, this was an act of evil aimed at taking out Paul and Silas. And what happened as they praised and they worshiped? The God of peace crushed Satan under their feet, their feet that were fitted with the gospel of peace. And a whole household was saved. Do you want to crush Satan? I do. But I'm not going to be, oh, I'm going to be crushed. That's not, no, that's not how. Do you want to crush Satan? Because, you know, these things are, they're going to happen to us. And, and I think that word, that word, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, crushing Satan's part of our Christian life because you're going to be tempted. And, and those who cause divisions and put obstacles in our way are going to try to pull us. I, I don't know when you became a Christian. You might be a new Christian. And you tell your family, oh, hey, I got saved. I came to Christ. And they say, you're crazy. Don't do that. There's an obstacle. You know, there's someone trying to pull you away from what you believe. 
And it's not the time to rant and rave. It's not the time to, to put up fists. It's the time to share the gospel of peace. And Satan can be defeated. Are you up against something? Someone trying to pull you away? Something tempting you? Something drawing you? I know it might not be as bad as uh, being beaten and thrown into prison like Peter and John and Paul and Silas. And I'm sure you're not facing stoning like Stephen. But how did they respond? That's the important thing. If the God of peace is going to crush Satan under our feet, let's look at these examples. How did they respond? They responded by sharing the gospel of Christ. They responded with prayer. They responded with praise. And the God of peace with them, the word, prayer, praise, crushed Satan. And things turned from what they looked like to something glorious. Do you want to crush Satan this morning? If you want to, I just invite you to stand. I invite you to stand and if, if, you're, if you're up against something, is there anyone up against something this morning? If you're up against something and you want that devil to be defeated, you want to crush Satan under your feet, I want to invite you to come forward and let's pray. And, and, and I'll ask our, our altar workers and our elders and our deacons to come and pray with people. Pray with them. Pray. Pray with them. You know, Peter and John, they went to a prayer meeting and they prayed. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The room was shaken. And unity, they all came together. The unity of the church was solidified. You want that this morning? You want this place to be shaken by the power of the Holy Spirit? I'd welcome the shaking of the Holy Spirit, not some devil stomping. I mean, we can, we can crush Satan under our feet with the word, prayer, and praise. I, I, was, I made a mention of this before our service began, and our, our, my daughter said to me, oh, you remember when I used to do this? Ah, she said I was crushing Satan. She said, because you know, you and mom told me the only thing I could hate was the devil. So I'd say, I hate you, devil, I hate you. I suppose that's, that's all right. That's, that's a good attitude to have. And we can do that. Prayer, praise, the word. You want to learn more about the word? You need some power to preach? You want to go out bold? And come on, come on, get some prayer today to be emboldened to share Christ, to share Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we need you. Lord, we want to defeat the, the enemy, the wiles of the wicked one. God, we want to defeat Satan. We want to see him crushed under our feet, but not by, not by weapons of warfare of mankind, but by your gospel, God, by your peace, the peace of your gospel, my God and my Savior. Lord, by the, by the power of prayer, we beseech you, almighty God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon this church and upon this sanctuary. Fill our cup to overflowing. Lord, touch the people that have stepped forward. They have a need, God. They're up against something, Lord. They're in a battle that's not a battle of flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but, about, but, but with principalities and powers and dominions that we can't see. 
Lord, but you can crush those enemies under our feet with the power of prayer, with the power of prayer. So we ask, God, in the name of Jesus, for you to visit us, Lord, and to do a good work, God, and break down barriers and turn situations, Lord, from prisons to escape, God, uh, from, from uh, infirmity, Lord, to, uh, to clean cleansing, Lord, and wholeness. God, we pray. We ask for your prayer, for you to do a great work as we pray, God. And we thank you, Lord. And we know, Lord, that as we praise you, as we worship you, God, your Holy Spirit dwells and, and is enthroned on the praises of your people, God. Satan cannot attack and do and come against us as we call on the name of Jesus and we invite your presence and praise and we praise you. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We bless you, thy name, God. We bless thy name. You are holy. You're mighty. You're powerful. You are worthy to be praised, almighty God. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. Oh, Lord. Lord, may others around us hear our praises to you, Lord, like those prisoners that were in prison with Paul and Silas. May they hear our praise, Lord. Help us to praise you in our day. Help us to praise you in our workplace, Lord. Help us to praise you in our schoolroom, Lord. Help us to honor you and praise you, Lord, and be unashamed. Be unashamed about the gospel of Christ, God. Use us, Lord. Use these people who've come forward. God, turn their situations, we pray, Lord. Turn them like you turned it for Peter and John. Turn it, Lord, like you turned it for Paul and Silas, God. And we ask and pray for that great grace, Lord. Lord, and even if we're facing uh, eternity, may we shout out to you, God, a prayer of peace, Lord. And Lord, remove bitterness from our hearts, Lord. Remove any kind of bitterness that we might have, Lord, something that would cause a stone of stumbling in front of us. We pray, we pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. You're holy.